I don't know what's going on right now, but every time I've closed my eyes since about before service started, I have had your face in my, the gentleman right there with the gray beard and the gray hair, this black shirt, stand up. For some reason, every time I close my, God wants to do something in your life tonight because I'm like, I don't even, I, don't, I mean, we introduced you, I introduced myself to you, but what's your, I don't even remember your first name. What's your first name? Tim? There's, God's doing something because every time I close my eyes, your face is in front of me and I'm going, what is the deal with this, Lord? And I'm just trying to be obedient right now, okay? So if, if I'm, you know, you think I'm weird, that's fine. I'm just trying to be obedient. What's that? You think I'm weird? That's okay. Um, that's okay, and I'm not worried about missing it or making a mistake because you know what this is about? This is about I don't want to miss an opportunity um, for you or for anyone here tonight and let you see that the transparency of flowing in the gifts of the Spirit and to walking into the supernatural, sometimes it's a picture, sometimes it's a word, sometimes it's an impression, sometimes it's maybe a pain. Well, this particular time, I mean, this is just, I've never had this happen before. His face is in front of me, and I'm like, okay, Lord, what is this all about? And I close my eyes again, there's your face, and I'm like, okay, what is this all about? And there's your face again. So God has you on his mind because he put you on my mind. Um, so if it's for no other reason than knowing God's got you on his mind, that's what this is about right now. Uh, maybe it's to teach me something. Maybe it's to teach you something. I really don't know, but we'll probably come back to this after service. Okay, you can sit down. What I'm saying, what I just did there was not planned. It was not, it's, it's not spooky. It's not weird. It's just God highlighted that individual to me for some reason, which I don't even know what it is, but I don't have to know. See, if you wait until you know everything, and if you wait until you have all, everything all figured out, you'll miss the opportunity that God has for you to step out in your situations. If you're always going to be worried about, well, what will they think of me? You're thinking too much about yourself and not enough about the person that you need to minister to. A week ago, I think it was last Thursday, my youngest son and I were walking through Myers, picking up some food because he had to do some project for school. And we're just walking through and all of a sudden he goes, here dad, he hands me a bunch of stuff and he just walks away. And I'm like, where are you going? And he just walks away from me and he goes up to this gentleman who is working, he's a, like an employee of the store. He walks up to him and he starts talking to him and I'm like, what are you doing? And uh, so I just went and got groceries. You know, I just kind of left him there. I figured he's 18, he can take care of himself. So I just went and got groceries, and I come back, and I find him at checkout. I go, what was that all about? He goes, oh, God gave me a word for that guy, and I just went over and gave him a word, and I prayed for him, and God uh, touched his hip, and he was feeling better, and he said, it was, it was really cool, Dad. And I'm like, dude, you're cooler than I am. Because he doesn't, he's not intimidated, he's not worried about what somebody's going to think about him. But yet, see, when you think more about people than you think about yourself, what's going to happen? God can use you in really cool ways like that. See, and it, if you're always worried about what are people going to think about me, then you're never going to step out because you'll always be too worried about what people are going to think about you. So you've got to just step out. And sometimes it's messy. 
And sometimes you'll miss it, I'm sure, okay? But here's my encouragement to you. Big deal. So what? So what if you miss it? So what if it, it doesn't turn out right? You tried, and here's the deal. Proverbs chapter 14 says, where there is no ox, the stall is clean, but much increase comes from the strength of the ox. Okay, now what does that mean? That means, hey, nothing ventured, nothing gained is kind of what the interpretation of that is, okay? So I would just encourage everyone, just this, when you have an impression, step out and do it. Don't wait. I mean, don't, be, don't do something dangerous, but see, there's no harm in going up and talking to someone. You always ask their permission. You don't just start in on them, okay? But you always ask their permission, and you're always kind, and you're gentle, and you're polite, okay? Because you don't want to be rude. But I would just encourage you that that is a, a, a thing, that's a method of ministry and outreach that is kind of a lost art, but God is bringing it back in the body of Christ. And it's a beautiful thing, just of just being open to God prompting you to, to speak to someone that you might not know, okay? So that, um, that was just something the Lord wanted to share with us before we got going on the, the message that he gave me for tonight. Now tonight, <clears throat> we're gonna finish up, pray first. Now our books... If you did the book, you would have a prayer list like I've got in my book here. And my prayer list includes all my family and people that I work with and, and um, things I want God to do in my family. In 2018, I got um, the president. I'm praying for the president and um, Trump and Pence and Ryan and McConnell and Pelosi and Schumer are all on my prayer list. I got all four of them on there. Why? Because we need to pray for those in leadership over us. The Supreme Court justices, Snyder and judges in Michigan, the, the mayor of Wyoming, the mayor of Granville, I'm praying for everybody. Why? Because we need to pray for those in leadership over us. So I would encourage you, even though pray first, the official 21 days is over, I would encourage you to continue with your prayer list and not just say, well, that's done and throw it away, but rather continue in the praying for those that are in authority over us, praying for your family, praying for the leaders in the church that we can make sure that we're following uh, how the Lord is leading us also. So as we continue in the, the final installment of our messages on prayer, pray first, we're, tonight we're gonna talk about lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. But before we do that, we're going to finish up, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Last week we talked about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And one of the things we said last week was that forgiving others in our horizontal relationship is vitally important, but it's not the salvation issue that sometimes people think it is. Okay, you are saved by the blood of Jesus and through his shed blood at the cross. Jesus paid for your sin once and for all and you're not forgiving doesn't negate the fact that you got saved and you received forgiveness at the cross. Okay, but I don't want you to think that it's not a big deal to hold unforgiveness because it's a very big deal to hold unforgiveness. It's a very big deal in your relationships and it's a very big deal in your personal life to hold unforgiveness. Because if you don't forgive, you open the legal door for the destroyer to come into your life. 
Okay, that's what happens. When you, when you disobey the commands of the Lord to forgive, you literally walk into a realm of disobedience and at that point in time, you are gonna walk out of his protective covering and you're, you're out of his will. You're out of his, his protection. And it's really super important that you see how dangerous that really is. That every day we have to forgive. We can't afford to hold a grudge. We can't afford to let strife get inside of us in our lives. If somebody's irritating you, you need to pray for them and bless them, okay? Not talk bad about them and hate them. Because as you pray for them and bless them, the, the ability of the enemy to use that person to derail you minimizes as you pray for them and bless them. But as you, as you talk about them bad and you begin to let seeds of hatred get in your heart, then the enemy gets you off track and he gets you he can actually derail you from your destiny on the earth eventually if you let it go long enough. It says that seeds of bitterness will produce a root of bitterness which will grow up and defile many, it says. So, um, so unforgiveness is a super big deal. One, one particular instant, I, learned, I saw this played out in front of me um, probably 15 years ago. There was an individual and he... Um, had a failed business with a partner and they, their, their business um, went bankrupt and they both lost uh, substantially all their money um, that they had. It was a very bad situation. And the one guy blamed the other guy for the failure. He said, if you wouldn't have done this, this wouldn't have happened. And he was very angry and he was very vocal about his um, anger toward this other person. It had gone on for a couple years. This had happened a couple years earlier. And it had been going on for a while. And um, the person who was very angry um, stayed kind of stuck in that situation. The guy who, the other guy thought it was his fault, um, he actually went on with his life and he was doing fine. He was rebuilding his life and, and things were going fairly well. So, and that just made the other guy even more angry. How many know that's true, right? Uh, so that just made him even the more angry because that guy's life wasn't falling apart and his life was. Well, then to make matters worse, the guy who was mad got cancer. And then, so then it progressed and it was metastatic in, into his bone and it was a bad situation. So one day, I'm shaving and the word of the Lord came to me and said, very specifically, this person, if he doesn't forgive, I can't help him. He's, he's, he's tied, it's like, God, God just said to me, if he doesn't forgive, I'm not able to help him in his situation. He's been praying for healing, but I can't help him as long as he's so bitter and so angry toward this other person. It's like he's, he's tied God's hands with his unforgiveness. And so I took the other gentleman over to his house. I went and called him up and said what the Lord had told me. And we went over there and I pleaded with him, literally on my knees, crying, saying, you need to forgive this person because it's vitally important to you for, to forgive. You just have, doesn't make him right, doesn't make anything, it just means that you need to forgive. And we prayed and talked and it was a long, long meeting, but when we were done, I led them all in a prayer and I, I led them into the, the, the prayer of forgiveness, each one of them. And the, the one that was angry, 
As soon as he opened his eyes, he looked at the other man and he said, I still can't believe you did this to me. And I sat there and I said, do you understand that you just negated everything we just prayed? Do you want to pray again? Because this can't continue. He goes, no, both of you get out of here. And I was like, oh. I said, you need to let this go. You have cancer. They have told you you're going to be dead in 10 days, literally. And he died seven days later. See, God was reaching out to him. Now, I don't know what would have happened if he would have truly, from his heart, forgiven. I believe I know. I can't prove it. I believe that he would have lived, okay? Because I don't think God gives us words like that for no reason. I can't ever prove it because he didn't do it, and he died seven days later. And it it just broke my heart because God was so reaching out to him. What this story tells you is that forgiveness is so important. Yeah, it's not a salvation. Now, did that person go to heaven? I believe that he went to heaven. I believe he forfeited his, the rest of his life's um, destiny, that he, he never got to see his grandkids. He never got to see all those things because he was a young man. He forfeited his destiny on the earth. I don't believe he went to hell, but I do believe he forfeited his entire death, the remainder of his life and his destiny on the earth because of he wouldn't forgive. And that opened the door. His unforgiveness opened the door for that thing. Now, does that mean that everybody that dies of cancer has unforgiveness? That's not what I said. This is one particular instance. Don't extrapolate it to the population. However, it's vitally important that you see this as as unforgiveness as it's like having a lion cub live in your house. It may be nice and it it may make you feel good to pet the lion lion cub, but eventually if you aren't careful, that lion cub will kill you. And that's what unforgiveness will do. It will eventually grow up and it will take care, it will take you out. And uh, the best to take care of it while it's still a cub and uh, not wait till it's a big ferocious lion living in your living room, okay? All right, everybody still with me here? So forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Now, lead us not into temptation. That's, it sounds a little funny, like God's gonna tempt us, but it, it says in 1 Corinthians I'm sorry, it says in James 1, let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So don't lead us into temptation, or, but what God will do, he won't tempt us with evil, but what he will do is he will allow us to be tested. Even that one song that we sang tonight, um, going through stuff, te- it causes us to be tested. There's a difference between temptation and testing. And what um, this is talking about is temptation to do evil is different than testing where God can see your heart and reveal your heart in a situation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink. Later on tonight, we're gonna take communion. But it says, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats, whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, 
not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, or many have died is another translation there. So what what they're talking in 1 Corinthians there is, we're about to do communion, so what what I'm asking you to do even now is to examine your heart. Do I have unforgiveness in my heart toward anyone? Do I have it? Is there anything in there that is that I haven't taken care of? I want to get that taken care of. Now, repentance takes a moment. Forgiveness takes a moment. It doesn't take years or anything else. It doesn't take hours or years. Repentance and forgiveness takes a moment's time. So as, you, as we think about taking communion later on tonight, I want us to really... Just take a, just a quick check before we take communion later on. Pastor Merle's going to come up here, and he's going to um, lead us in communion. But even now, let the Lord deal with you and, and just examine your heart. See if there's any unforgiveness that's still there that you can get that taken care of. And you can actually choose to forgive right now tonight before we go any further. So let us not into temptation. You know, Jesus was tempted or tested for 40 days in the desert. And what this, this petition is talking about, lead us not into temptation, is protect us. Really, it's, it's coupled right with protect us from the evil one. Deliver us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And as you, as you look at deliver us from the evil one, that is needs to be coupled with 2 Corinthians chapter 10, because that's as it refers to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's talking about warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. There you go. The next part says, casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. That's about delivering us from the evil one. We, we, we have been delivered from the evil one, but we have to enforce our deliverance. And one of the ways that we enforce our deliverance is by taking every thought captive, casting down arguments, and bringing them subject to Christ. So as we do this, you're gonna realize that as we take every thought captive and as we do what the scripture says, you are doing spiritual warfare and you are, being, you are enforcing your deliverance from the evil one. Now, the enemy always comes with questions. If you look at it, half God said is the way that the devil first began his conversation with Eve and was the very first thing he ever said to Eve. Half God said that you can't eat of any tree in the garden. So he started off his conversation with a question. What did Jesus, when Jesus was in the desert, the devil came to him and he said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Again, a question. Questioning What God has declared over you is the devil's plan for your life. So he wants to question, oh, really? So you really believe that by Jesus' stripes you were healed? Then why are you like this? 
Or if God's going to supply all your needs, why aren't your needs met? Why do you still have lack? The, the, the questions are always going to be there. Now, this is, <clears throat> this is a truth, and I want you to put this in perspective. There was a, a man that I met many, many years ago. His name was Peter Daniels, and I had the opportunity to have lunch with him. He's a multimillionaire from Australia. Um, just a cool guy. And he, at, he said, one, I was having dinner with him, and he, and he looked at me and he goes, Bernie, because that's how Australian people talk. He called me Bernie. He said, Bernie, whoever asks the questions is in charge. He, he just made that simple statement. Whoever is the one asking the questions is in charge. He says, if you want to be in charge, always answer a question with another question until they get tired of it and answer your question. And whoever's more stubborn is going to be in charge of the conversation. That was just kind of interesting. And if you look at life, that's kind of how it goes. Um, who's ever asking the questions is really the one that's in charge. So knowing that and the, the fact that the devil's always asking questions when the devil asks, when you have a thought that asks a question that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, you have to answer it with the word of God and not get into a conversation. Because when the devil asked Jesus a question, he would simply state the word of God and not directly answer the question. Like when he said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You know what he if, if he was not confident in himself, Jesus would have said, well, that's easy, watch this, poof, and he would have turned. But now, who's in charge? Now he, you, you've allowed him to be in charge. So I would say, whenever those questions come, you have to cast down those imaginations, cast down those arguments, and that's part of lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, is with the word of God casting down those arguments that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, and they usually come in question form. Why, aren't, why isn't this happening, or when is that going to happen? What we have to do is answer with the word of God. So whatever it is in your situation, answer with the word like Jesus did. So when he said, if you're really the, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread, it's, it's notable to remember that Jesus hadn't eaten in four zero, 40 days. He was hungry. So the devil tried to use his flesh, right? He tried to use it, capitalize on his flesh, capitalize on his hunger, and he tried to get him to get into a, a flesh match with the devil, okay? Because he's a flesh devil. So if you're going to beat the devil, you can't beat him in the flesh. You have to beat him in the spirit, okay? So the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, or they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So if you're going to beat the devil and, and beat his questions, you have to answer with the, with the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus answered, said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how he answered him. And then when he said again, hey, if you're really, if you're really the, the Son of God, do this. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. The devil even quoted scripture. He misquoted, but he quoted scripture to Jesus to try to get him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Okay? 
And Jesus still said, no, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And then he tried to do it. He tried to give Jesus a shortcut to the plan that God had for his life. Now, those were temptations. Those were tests. Now, there will be times in all of our lives where the enemy brings a shortcut to something that you know God has for your life. A shortcut. My dad always used to tell me this. He said, what's the longest distance between two points? And you'd always say, a shortcut. It's the, because it, shortcuts never work. Whenever the enemy comes and <clears throat> you, you, you could say, well, God has a plan for my life to bless me and he wants me to have all my needs met. And then a situation comes where someone <clears throat> offers you a business deal that you know in your heart is not ethical. And you could, you could say, well, God wants to bless me, <clears throat> but this business deal is not ethical. And you could say, oh yeah, but God wants to bless me, but this business deal is not ethical. And if you choose to do it anyway, you're going to be sorry. Because that's a shortcut to God's blessing, but it's not God's blessing on the end. It's going to be heartache, and it's going to turn to gravel in your mouth. Okay? A shortcut is never God's plan. Okay? When God wants to bless you, it says he, he brings blessing in your life, and he adds no sorrow to it. See, but the shortcuts always have sorrow. So one of the temptations for Jesus was identity. That's always a, it's always a temptation for us. Identity, who we are in Christ. That was his first temptation. And he, he beat it by quoting the word of God. And that's the same way we can beat it, by quoting the word of God and remembering who we are in Christ. Okay, the second one was taking the word of God out of context and going to an extreme that God has not led, like jumping off the pinnacle. Just tempt, doing something foolhardy, that was that temptation. Doing something foolhardy to gain attention. And uh, that was the same thing. He said, you shall not test the Lord your God. Don't be foolish, use the brain that God gave you. And the third one was a shortcut to his destiny. Someone might say, well, I know that if you have a desire in your heart for something, the enemy's going to provide you with a shortcut, okay? Just because that's the way, especially if you voice that desire to go to that particular thing. The, the enemy is going to bring some kind of an easy way or a shortcut to it. And what you have to do is recognize the enemy's shortcuts and not take his shortcuts and stay on God's plan for your life. And use the Word of God as your guide that when you have peace in your heart, you can go that way, but if you do not have peace, when that deal is in front of you, and you look at it and you say, it looks great, but I just don't have peace with it, don't violate your conscience. If you don't have peace, walk away. I don't care how much money they're offering you, walk away if you don't have peace. Why? Because it's probably a trap from the enemy to get you off from your real destiny. That's probably what it is. It's just a temptation. If it looks too good to be true, it probably is, walk away. That's just, that's just the way it is. See, that's what it was with Jesus. The devil came to him and said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything. 
He said, I'll give you, the world's been given to me and I'll give you the whole world. And Jesus said, no, you shall not worship any other gods. I will not, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, is what he said. So he didn't take the bait to take a shortcut. Would the enemy have given him the whole world? Probably not, because the devil's a liar. Okay, it never works out the way you want. But even if he had, it wouldn't have been God's plan and he wouldn't have been able to be the savior of the world. He would have lost his true destiny had he done that. So those specific words from the, from the Bible are the way that we wage a good warfare. Another way we wage a good warfare is with the prophecies and the words that God has spoken to us in our hearts, through other people, or directly from the word. We wage a good warfare with the word of God, whether it was a word spoken in prophecy or a word spoken over you or a word that God just put on your heart. 1 Timothy 1, 18. It says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight. That's in the NIV. In the New King James, it says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. One of the ways you wage a good warfare is the words that God has spoken to you in your prayer closet or through other people or at different points in your life. When God gives you a word, you write that word down, and if it's, a, if it's a true word from God, usually you don't even need to write it down because you just remember it because you heard it directly from God. But you wage a good warfare. And when your life doesn't look like the word says it's supposed to look, you wage that warfare by going, no, God told me this is where I'm going. This is my course. I'm staying the course. This is where I'm supposed to be. Even when things don't look right, you wage that warfare by the prophecy spoken over you, whether that prophecy was a word directly from the Bible or a word someone spoke over you. You do that warfare by remembering that word that God spoke to you, that it, it resonated in your heart when they spoke it to you, and that's what keeps you on track. Now, by doing that, by keeping on track with that, with that word, you can avoid a lot of discouragement. Because the enemy's out there all the time. You know how many times that I, I talk to people and they're like, yeah, nothing seems to be working out. Everything's bad. You know, I'm talking to somebody just a couple weeks ago, and things were all bad in their life. I mean, they were fighting sickness. Their wife was fighting sickness. Their son was fighting sickness. He lost his job. They lost their house. And I said, the only thing missing was your dog needs to run away, and it'll be a country song. But everything was bad. It's not funny. Don't get me wrong. But he's a guy that used to live here, and now he lives somewhere else. But um, he still calls me, and I talk to him and minister to him. So we were talking, and everything looked horrible. And my, my word to him that I, I gave him was just stay the course. Did God send you where you are? are you, do you believe that God sent you there? Yes, I know that God sent me here. Then just stay the course. Don't give up. Just stay the course. God, where God leads, he feeds. And where he guides, he provides. He will make provision for you. I said just stay the course. Don't give up. 
and just and I prayed with them, and it was really remarkable. As I prayed with them, I felt the presence of God. He felt the presence of God, and he was like, "Oh man, I feel better." You know, just instantly he he felt better, and through the telephone, because you know God can work even through the telephone. Um, so as we were there, that was two weeks ago. So he calls me today. He says, "Oh man." Man, my wife's doing better. I'm doing better. I said, now, aren't you glad you didn't give up two weeks ago? Because two weeks ago, everything looked like it was going to Hades in the handbasket, and now everything's turning out and looking more like it's your way. Now, what, what we did there is we did warfare with the Word of God, and it kept him on track for where God has him right now. See? So the first thing starts with, did God send you here? And if he didn't, go find out where God wants you and go there. Don't stay somewhere God hasn't sent you. But you got to be sure this is where God sent you. So that's how you do warfare. And once you know where God has sent you, then you put your roots down and you say, God, you sent me here and you provide for me. And I thank you that you're providing for me here. Whatever it is you need, he will provide it for you. Because that's what he has promised us. So we need to stay the course and not give up and not get too far off track. And then the final, the final statement in the Lord's Prayer, yours is the kingdom. We recognize that God, you are the creator and sustainer of all things. Yours is the power. You are almighty God Elohim, the God of creative power and might. That God is powerful. There's nothing too hard for God. We recognize his authority Yours is the kingdom. We recognize his power, that there's nothing too hard for him. And his glory, that he is the most beautiful creation. He, or he, it's not a creation. He is, he is the most beautiful being in the world. In the beauty of his holiness, that his glory fills the earth. And so he has authority, he has power, and he, is, he has beauty. And we think of sometimes that the word beauty is a corrupted word, but if you, if you really imagine pure light and glass and the, the amazing sea of crystal and all heaven is lit up by his beauty and by his radiance, it blows our mind and we, our mind can't even fathom how powerful, how beautiful, and how kind our God is. He's kind, even though he's all-powerful and even though he's Almighty, and he's everywhere present, and he's such an amazing God, but yet he actually knows who you are. He knows how many hairs are on your head, and he, and he loves you, and he cares about every situation in your life, and that he listens to all our prayers. It's an amazing thought that even though he's Elohim, he's also the Lord, our shepherd, the one who cares for us, leads us, guides us, and, care, and, and provides for us. It's, it's, a, it's a dichotomy that blows the human mind. It blows mine, I know, that I'm, I'm trying to connect the two, and it's almost, it's almost unattainable to think about it, but yet it's true. He is that powerful, but yet he's that personal also. So we're going to take the time right now, take a few minutes, and we're going to do, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're going to take... A few months, Pastor Merle's coming up. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. But we're going to remember that it was the Father that sent him. 
See, it's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, all three of them. And as we, as we remember that, I want you to, I'll be quiet and let Merle talk. Well, praise God. Like he said, you know, when we take communion, really, what we're doing is we're celebrating his incredible love for us. It's all about Jesus' love. You know, there's so many things that we could focus on with communion. You know, the fact that we've been accepted, we have fellowship, and really, it's, it's the New Testament of his blood. You know, when he said it's finished, it was finished. It's done. You know, Satan was defeated. You know, the price for our salvation was paid in full. His promises are yes and amen. And uh, as far as that goes, there is a promise for every one of us, for every situation, for every need that we have in our life. It's covered. And those promises are yes and amen. I just want to share a few scriptures and then we'll take communion. In Hebrews 9, 24, it says, For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was a, only a copy of the true one in heaven. No, he entered into heaven itself to appear before God on our behalf. You know, Jesus is our high priest, and he still is. And it says that he's the high priest of our confession. In Hebrews 7, it says, Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. And because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood also lasts forever. You know, unlike those other priests, which are the Old Testament priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus, he did this once for all of us. And he offered himself for all of our sins, his own blood. In Hebrews 6, it says, you know, Jesus, our priest, has given us a ministry that is far superior even to that old priesthood. Think about that. All the old priests in the Old Testament, we have a priesthood that's far better than that. For he's the one who mediates this better covenant with God because we have better promises. You know, in Peter, he says, God is building us to be a holy temple. You know, he chose to dwell in us. You know, and what more, we're God's priest. You know, he calls us his priests now. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, we've been made a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his, only, his own possession. Why? So that we can show the goodness of God. We're his ministers. We're, we're his example to those. In Hebrews 9, he says, with his own blood, not with the bulls of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all, and he secured our redemption forever. It's done. It's handled. As far as us being saved, as far as us being washed, I mean, you could go on and on. It is a done deal. And when the enemy comes to accuse, when the enemy comes to put, no, I am the righteousness of God in Christ and the guilt, the verdict is not guilty, forever, righteous, cleansed, forgiven, set free, and we could go on. You know, in Hebrews 9, he says, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify even our consciences from sinful deeds that we can worship the living God. For the, by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. It is the only sacrifice that could be offered that was perfect. 
And, uh, you know, if you think about your sins of the past, they're done. Past, present, future, washed away. And uh, what he's done for us is good enough. Hebrews 10, it says, it says, then look. He says, look, I have come to do your will. This is Jesus. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus once and for all. Under the old covenant, it says the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which could never take away our sins. It was only accounted as righteous. Today, we are righteous. But the high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of God. And it says, what could, what could go on and on? And it says, and he's been given a name that's above every name. And we've been given that name to take authority over anything and everything that comes against us. Man, if there's anything I want you to realize is that this covenant that he says is a better covenant, this covenant is first of all between God the Father and God the Son. And we have to understand that. See, it's not based on what you and I did. It's based on what he did. And what he did lasts forever. It's perfect. It's done. See, if we'd get in the middle of this covenant, we'd mess it up. But no, this covenant is done. And it's a covenant between God the Father and God the Son based on Jesus' blood, sacrificed once and for all, done deal, sealed our salvation, give the promises yes and amen, put us under grace, and we could go on. In Hebrews 9, it says, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered into the most holy place once and for all, and he says he secured our redemption forever. Forever. Now, I want you to just, I want to spend a couple more minutes. See, when he went in, he offered his own blood on the mercy seat, which is the only blood that was good enough. He made this deal. I'll tell you what we're going to do to bring about redemption. Jesus, you're going to go. You're going to be born of a virgin. You're going to live a spotless life, and you're going to offer your own blood, and you're going to purchase back my people. And he went and offered his blood on the mercy seat, which before the blood was offered like we know in the Old Testament. And it's very important that we understand that under that mercy seat was the Ark of the Covenant, That was where it all started. And in that Ark of the Covenant, he put three things that are very, very important. First of all, he put the golden golden pot of manna, which they were given manna in the Old Testament. What about today? Jesus is our manna forever. He is the bread of life. That's That's what it says to us. And that's under what he sacrificed to purchase this for us. We have manna, and that's why we should eat manna every day, which is the word of God. We should fellowship with him, and that's what we celebrate. Also in there was the tablets of the law. The law was fulfilled. Now he says, I'm going to write the law in your heart. And the law is love. 
The message is grace. The result is that we have peace with God and we rule in righteousness because of what he did. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. No condemnation, no guilt, no shame, no accusations against us because God declared by his own blood that we are his sons and daughters made righteous by his sacrifice. And the last thing in there was Aaron's rod, which is also huge. You know, Aaron's rod budded. And what did it represent? It represented life. It, it represented God's choosing. God chose you. God gave us life. Jesus is our high priest, like Aaron was their high priest. And we have been given the anointing that the priest had, but our anointing, we've been made priest, and we have an anointing that God puts on us. All three of those things are signified by what was in that ark. And Jesus put his blood on top of that, and we are forever not guilty. You know, it says, you who once were far off, what has he done now? He has come and he has grafted us into that life, into that tree, into that life-giving spirit so that we, every one of us, individually, based on what we, we celebrate tonight, have life, life eternal. It says, you who are once, you know, grafted in, we've been grafted in and we have the spirit of God and he says, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. That's what we celebrate. So as we take this bread, signifying his body that was broken for us, that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that he loved us so much that he went to the cross and offered himself so that we could be the sons of God. You know, because of what we celebrate tonight, every promise is yes and amen. And like we've been talking about the priest you know, as we take this blood, it says in Hebrews, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and receive help for actually whatever we need. So as we take this blood, whatever your need is, whatever it is, we can come boldly, ourself, based on this blood, right to the throne of God. It says, and we can obtain mercy and find grace and find help and receive the inheritance that's ours based on the fact that we've been adopted and we've made, been made his own children. And you know, somebody has to die in order for a will to be put in place, which happened. Jesus died on our behalf.
Therefore, we have the inheritance, and we can come boldly based on this shed blood, find mercy, find grace, obtain help. As we take this, release your faith to believe that God will supply whatever you need based on his blood. workers are waiting for us to come down there. <laughs> Whew. Pastor Merle, you're appreciated. <laughs> 